If you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts 5. We are working through the book of Acts this year, and um, we're up to Acts 5. We're going to skip a couple verses, but uh, one of the things that hopefully you've been um, noticing as we've been looking through the book of Acts is that God is unstoppable, that he cannot be stopped. Uh, That is, by and large, the theme of the book of Acts, that uh, after Jesus is raised from the dead, he tells his disciples to wait for the power of God, for the Spirit of God, and then he ascends to heaven, and then the Spirit of God falls, and nothing can stop the Spirit of God and the growth of the church by the power of the Spirit, and the church just continues to grow and grow and grow in spite of obstacles, in spite of opposition from without Inside the church, you know, these religious leaders who are arresting the leaders in the church and, and threatening them, the church continues to grow. And, and in spite of last week, we saw problems inside the church where you have this couple who deceive and lie and, and are hypocritical, and then there are these supernatural deaths. And you would think that when people start hearing that people are dying in the church supernaturally, that would cause them to be like, I don't know if I want to be part of that group. And yet, it says right after that, one of a couple of the verses that we, we skip here, it says that, that more than ever, multitudes are being added to the church. Just people are just coming. And the church is growing. This group of people who have come to believe that Jesus is alive, that he's risen from the dead. And, um, and so the church is growing. Um, we're going to skip a couple other verses where after the church continues to grow, um, the apostles, Peter and the other apostles, are arrested again. And then they are miraculously released from jail by an angel. Um, We're going to talk more about that kind of stuff later. But uh, they're miraculously released from jail by an angel. And then they go right back to the temple and start telling people about Jesus again. No matter how much they've been arrested, no matter how many times they've been arrested, no matter how much people have been threatening them not to speak, they continue to speak about Jesus, about the risen Jesus. And the church continues to grow and, uh, and after they do that, they're brought back again to the council, to the, the high priest and, and the other religious leaders, and they, and they get ready to question them some more. And that's what we're going to look at today. Um, we're going to look at Acts 5, starting in verse 27, and then going to the end of the chapter in verse 42. It's printed in your order of worship. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along there. So listen to God's word. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so, the Holy, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. 
After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, if it is of God you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would overcome us by the presence of your spirit as we look at these words, as we look at this passage. We, whether we recognize it or realize it or not, we long more than anything else for your presence and your glory. We long to see you more clearly. Father, we pray that your spirit would work in us to open our eyes to open our minds, to open our hearts, to help us to see what you want to show us here. Father, we pray that you would change us, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know how many of you guys know this, but I have, a, I have a little sister who's 13 years younger than me. And so that means when she was like two years old, I was just like in the beginning of high school. And I like to think that I was a pretty good big brother most of the time. But there were moments when I, you, you could say I was maybe kind of mean. I was slightly cruel, you could say. Um, I, I remember when, when she was two, um, we had this little basketball hoop, this little like little Tykes basketball hoop, and she would take this little soft Nerf ball, and, and like she'd love to just kind of like shoot the ball in the, in the hoop. And sometimes I would sit on the floor next to the hoop as she played, and I'd encourage her to shoot. And then when she shot, I'd just be like, bam! I just like swat the ball across the room, you know, and and then I she'd go get the ball and she'd come back and then she'd shoot again and I'd be like bam, you know, and and I would just continually do that. Occasionally I'd let her score it so that she would feel encouraged to continue shooting, but it was just so, it was so I, I was this perverse pleasure and just you know stopping her so easily, like she was so easily stopped from scoring. I'm not proud of myself. I'm not proud of myself. And she has since, you know, grown to forgive me for those, those times. But, uh, you know, it, it, she was so easily stopped, her little two-year-old, you know, shots the basket. Um, I think that as we experience life, I feel like I, uh, so much of the time I feel like my little two-year-old sister, that it's so easy to stop me in the things that I'm trying to do, in the things that I'm trying to accomplish and, and work, uh, the, the, the ways that I'm trying to help people, I'm so easily stopped. So there's, you know, obstacles are always there, and, and I'm easily, you know, turned aside or frustrated. The things that I, the, the goals that I have for myself or, or for my friends or family, it, it just seems like there's, it's so easy to stop me. I feel so powerless a lot of the time. And so I think because of that, it's hard for me to actually believe 
in a God who is unstoppable. It's hard to believe that God is real and that he cannot be stopped because I'm so easily stopped, because there's so, you know, so, so much in life that you know, puts up walls in front of me and keeps me from accomplishing things. It's hard to believe that God is unstoppable. But I think as you look at this passage and you look at the whole book of Acts, as I said before, one of the things that comes out loud and clear is that God cannot be stopped. He is absolutely unstoppable. And the really cool thing as you read this passage is that this message comes out loud and clear out of a guy who might not even be a Christian. It's out of this Pharisee, Gamaliel, right, who stands up in the council of these guys who are questioning and threatening the apostles. And he says, guys, you know, I, I know you want to kill these guys, but I, I, would, I would recommend, you know, he's very, he's honored, he's, he's respected by everybody else, so everybody listens. He says, you know, look, Remember these other guys. There's this guy who, who kind of seemed to become really popular and everybody was following him and he was creating problems and he died and it just, everybody was scattered. It came to nothing. And then there's this other guy, Judas, and he seemed to you know, grow in popularity and gain a, gain a following and, and that might have looked like it was a problem, but then he died and that just came to nothing as well. And so he's like, guys, just, I would encourage you, just leave these guys alone. Don't worry about them because if this is something of, of man, <laughs> then it's going to come to nothing. But, what does he say? But if this is of God, if this plan or undertaking is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, in verse 38. In other words, you won't be able to stop them. Because God cannot be stopped. And that's what I want to just encourage us with this morning. Those of us who know God, who have trusted in God, to, to know that we have a God who loves us, and who is unstoppable. And what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as we live our lives? That we have a God who loves us, a Father who loves us, and is absolutely unstoppable. I, I see three different implications here in this passage. It has, the fact that, it has to do with the fact that God has not been able to be stopped in the past, is not able to be stopped now, and will not be able to be stopped in the future. Okay. Um, so first of all, if you look at verses uh, 29 and 30, when Peter first starts talking, he starts talking about what God has done in the past. Verse 29, he says, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And then he says this, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him as right hand, as leader and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. We have seen God work in the past. This is what God has done. God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He has exalted him to his right hand. He has poured out his spirit. Look at all that God has done. And the result of this is that we have the opportunity to repent and experience forgiveness, and experience peace. And this is what I want to remind us of, first and foremost, is that because God has not been able to be stopped in what he has done through Jesus, we can have peace. And, and this is in spite of the fact that he says, that you killed him by hanging him on a tree. The, the religious leaders tried to stop God. They tried to by killing Jesus, right? They tried to say, I'm, I'm, I can prevent you from accomplishing what you're trying to do. And they killed Jesus. But that, that did nothing. God just raised him from the dead. No matter how strong they thought they were, no matter how influential they thought they were, 
They could not keep God from doing what he wanted to do. Um, just to give you a little bit more insight into my basketball exploits, since I've already talked about that some this morning. As I, you know, I played basketball more in high school, and then when I got to college, I, I, I wasn't good enough to play on the college team at all by, by any stretch of the imagination, but I did continue to play in, in rec leagues, and I'd go and play pickup games. And I thought, you know, I, I, back at the time, I, th- I thought I was a pretty decent basketball player, and I really prided myself on my defense. I was really good at stopping people from scoring. And so I went to the gym once, one day, and, and played in a pickup game with these guys that I didn't really know, but, uh, but it quickly became apparent that all the guys on the other team were bigger, stronger, faster, way more athletic than I was. And, but, but yet I still thought, you know, that I could hold my own because I was so good at defense. And, and, uh, but there was this one point when this other guy on the team, he wasn't even the best guy on the, t- the other team, this other guy on the team, he stole the ball and he started dribbling down the court really fast, just like furiously dribbling down the court. I was the last person to play defense. I was the last, per- the last line of defense between the, the, the basketball hoop and this guy. He's like charging down this, the court full speed. And I'm like, I'm going to take him. I'm going to stop him. He's not going to get past me because I'm standing in front of the hoop. And I'm, I'm ready. I'm bracing myself for him. You know, I'm like, whatever it takes. I'm going to foul him, whatever. I, I can, I'm going to stop this guy. He comes dribbling up. He picks up the ball. He leaps. And I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> I'm here. And he jumped over me. <laughs> he spread his legs and, like, went over my head and he dunked the ball. No matter how strong I was, this guy would just, like, and a lot of people would say he posterized me. I don't know if you've ever heard of that term before, but, but a lot of times, like, the famous basketball, basketball player Michael Jordan would, would do this amazing dunk and they'd take a picture of it and then they'd make it into a poster and hang it up on walls. You know, kids would hang it up on their walls and, and what you, you don't realize is that there's this poor guy playing defense who's immortalized, looking foolish, <laughs> just embarrassed. No matter how good he was, just Michael Jordan just embarrassed him. And that's what happened to me. I was posterized. And in a sense, no matter how strong or influential or powerful these religious leaders were, God posterized them in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is the thing. These guys, the, the sin of the religious leaders could not stop God. The sin of the Romans could not stop God. The sin of the Gentiles could not stop God. My sin, your sin, cannot stop God. That is what Jesus Christ did. As he, as he died on that cross, as he was hung on that tree, he paid for my sin. He paid for your sin. And he rose from the dead, destroying the power of our sin. And so this is what God has done. Nothing was able to stop him, and he has brought peace to those of us who will repent and receive him and trust him. Nothing could stop him from doing this. And that is what we have. We have forgiveness of sins, according to verse 31. We have forgiveness of sins. We have peace with God. Your failures in the past, up until this point, are not so horrible that they're able to prevent God from giving you peace and forgiveness. The things that you are ashamed of, they are not an obstacle for God because he has accomplished peace. He has accomplished your forgiveness in the work of his son and Jesus' death and in his resurrection. 
we have peace because God was not able to be stopped. Your past sin, your present sin, your, uh, the, the things that you're not proud of, the ways that you failed others, just the ways that you look at your life and you're like, I'm not who I should be. It's been decided. Jesus died for you. And he rose from the dead. And you have peace. We can have peace. It's there for us to take hold of and to know and to rest in. Nothing could stop him, so we have peace. And, and then, but then you look at the present, nothing can stop him now, and so we can rejoice. We can rejoice. It's amazing. So these guys, apparently, they, they listen to Gamaliel, right? Um, they want to kill the, the apostles, but they don't. So I think it's kind of ironic, though, that they, that they then, they, they, it says they listen to him, but then they beat the apostles, and they threaten them not to do anything. They beat the apostles, and and what this is likely referring to is that is that they uh, that the tradition was is that this was probably a flogging where they received like the it's called the forty lashes minus one. They would take this this leather cord with like three prongs on it, and they would they would whip the people thirty nine times, tearing flesh off their back, and when it got bad enough, they would whip their chest. And so, like, when I read this, you, you look at, uh, at verse 41, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They left the presence of the council rejoicing. Like, when I'm, I'm just, like, reading through this really quick in, in the past, I, I just, I imagine them walking out, being like, yeah, you know, with smiles on their face, like maybe singing together. But the reality is that this was a picture of guys who could probably barely walk. These are guys who were covered in blood. They probably couldn't just walk out on their own. They probably had to be helped out. I doubt very much that they were smiling. And yet it says they left rejoicing. They left rejoicing. I think this teaches us something about what it means to have joy what it means to, to really rejoice in life. Because like, when I think about joy and rejoicing, I usually think about, about smiling, about laughing. I think about um, a life where, where my, my pain is taken away. I think about a life where my problems are solved and, and everything's going well. And, th- and that's what I think of when I think of you know, the, the, the idea of rejoicing. But, but actually, this passage says rejoicing can happen when you're covered in blood when all you can do is wince and grimace. I think the, the reason, why did these guys rejoice? Well, they're, they're rejoicing. It's because their rejoicing was not tied to their, to their health, their ability to, to feel good, to not have pain. It was tied to what? It was tied to their relationship to God. It was tied to what God thought of them. Right? It says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were able to rejoice because they believed in a God who was unstoppable and was working in their lives and was even using them. That he counted them worthy to use, to suffer dishonor for his name. That he counted them worthy. That he delighted in them. That is where real joy comes from. Joy is something that is, that is deep, that is not necessarily seen in obvious ways on the surface. 
And so we can experience joy even when we are in when things aren't going the way that we, we wish they were, we desperately wish they were in our lives, we can experience joy when our joy is tied to an unstoppable God who we know cares about us, who we know is using us, even this, this difficult thing that we're going through now. That is how we can rejoice. By tying our joy not to our circumstances, not to the, the lack of pain, but to God. To the fact that he's unstoppable, the fact that he's committed to us, the fact that he, he, he sees us as worthy because of Jesus. And he's working. He's working to use us. And lastly, God's power has everything to do with the future as well. Because nothing will stop God in the future, I think we can see that it's, it's important that we must obey him. We must obey. Again, in verse 39, Gamaliel says, if this is from God, you cannot overthrow him. And then he says, he says this, you might even be found opposing God, opposing this one who is unstoppable. And, and when, I, when I read that, I, I get a picture in my mind. Have you ever seen um, on TV, like somebody in a hurricane, like a reporter or something like that? in a hurricane, and the, and, the, and the rain's just like being driven sideways, and the, the wind gusts are so strong that the, that the reporter can't even like keep, hold their ground. They're just getting like blown back. And if they have an umbrella instead of like the normal umbrella, it's like flipped the other way and it's broken, you know? So God is so unstoppable that if, that if, we, if we disobey, if we, if we work against God, it's just going to end in, in futility. And futility. And I, and I think the disciples, the, the apostles, have discovered something different. That God is so unstoppable that, that they must obey him. Right? He says in verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Because God cannot stop. If, if we obey him, what we're doing is we're, we're basically stepping into a current that's going to push us along towards beauty and joy and peace and the renewal of all things because that is what God is doing. We have to obey him because to, to, to not obey God is, is, to, is, to, is to try to stand against a wind that is, that is impossible to make any progress against. I think this is important to see when, when it comes to obedience to God. Often we look at obedience, we think about the ways that God wants us to obey him and the, the things that we think about, that, that what, we, what, we, what we tend to, to gravitate towards is all of the ways that obe- obedience is hard. All of the sacrifices that we'll ha- we're going to have to make if we obey God. All of the ways that obedience is inconvenient. It's, it's easy to, to think about, okay, God wants me to do this, but it's going it's to be so hard. I don't want to do this. I think it's, it's what, what you, can, you can see as you look at this passage is that obedience is an invitation by God to to step into his purposes with the wind at your back, in a sense. If, 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 I'm, if I'm getting in line with what God wants, and he is unstoppable, then what's going to stop what I'm doing in obedience to him? So we, we tend to think of all that it might cost us, all that obedience might inconvenience us, but actually what happens when we obey God, as I said, is that we step into this current that is strongly moving 
towards fullness and joy and the renewal of all things. One of, one of my professors in seminary talked about, when, it, when, when we were going through the book of Acts, he, he said that, you know, it can be easy to kind of look at the book of Acts and, and, and hold up the apostles as these great heroes, these, these guys who are determined, these guys who are courageous, these guys who did all these amazing things in order to help the church grow. But really, as you really, as you really honestly read the book of Acts, what you really see is this wave of the Holy Spirit just moving on through. You ever been to the beach and, and, you know, what stops a wave from coming into shore? Nothing. Nothing. No matter who you are, you could try to go out there and stop it. You're not gonna. It's this wave of the Holy Spirit that's just, that's just moving through, this powerful wave. And what the apostles are really doing is they're just grabbing surfboards and they're riding it. And that's what obedience is. I think that's a great picture of obedience. If you want to put that picture up, Milo, this is a guy, I saw this picture of this guy who, I guess he set a record in the last year for riding the, surfing the biggest wave ever. That's like a 100-foot wave. I don't know, can you see the guy there? He's surfing this 100-foot wave. I and mean, I think it's a, it's, it's a picture of, of the purposes and the work of God as he is moving. It's this 100-foot wave. Nothing's going to stop it. If you try to stop it, woe to you. But what God does is, as he invites us to obey him is to step out in faith on the surfboard and ride it. To step out in faith on the surfboard and ride it. And that, that, that comes to, you know, when, 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 like here, what are they doing as far as obeying God? They're, they're speaking out when they've been threatened not to, right? We may not be facing death or imprisonment for telling other people about Jesus, but it's still scary. It's something God calls us to obey him, to, to share Jesus with people around us. And, and we're afraid it, it might produce rejection or awkwardness in our relationships. But when we share, when we obey and we share our faith, we share Jesus, what we're doing is we're stepping onto the surfboard of something that God is able to, to, to do glorious things with, you know? When we think about serving a friend when it's really hard, when they've made us angry, when we think about forgiving someone who has hurt us, what we are doing when we take steps to do those things is we are surfing upon this wave of God. When we give money to the work of God in the church, you know, it's easy to think about, oh, well, this is what I'm going to have to do without. This is what it's going to cost me. But what we're doing is we're stepping out and riding a wave that God is, you know, what can God do? He's unstoppable. When we think about, you know, uh, our marriages, and there are moments where we feel like, I, I just don't have the strength, the, the desire to, to be patient and to, and to love and to pursue my spouse, and I don't feel like I'm going to get anything back. But when we, when we do that in obedience, God's going to do something amazing with it. He, can, he cannot be stopped. And so I want to encourage us, to leave us with these, this, this, this vision of what it looks like to obey instead of thinking about all the things that's going to cost me, all the difficulty of, of obedience. Think about what is God calling you to do in your life right now? And remember that, that when you obey him, what you're doing is you're riding the wave of his purposes, his glory.
I'll just leave you with that. This is a, this, uh, you guys, it's so disappointing sometimes to, to, try to, to try to communicate what is in here. And it's every single time it falls short. But if nothing else, I pray that, that as we walk out of here, we know and we're walking with a God who is unstoppable who has not been able to be, to be stopped. And so I can have peace. I can know him. I can know that he loves me because my sin has not been able to stop him. I can actually have joy no matter how painful my life might be right now because he is here and he's unstoppable. And, and I, can, I can think about doing hard things, obeying him, and, and being excited about seeing what he's going to do with that because he's unstoppable. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. And, and, and we pray that uh, your truth here would uh, latch onto our hearts. That you wouldn't, um, that, that your truth wouldn't uh, wouldn't let us go, that it would keep nagging at us. That we would truly be able to find joy even when we feel like it's impossible because of the circumstances of our lives. Father, we pray that you would help us. We pray that you would help us to, to really know what it means to be forgiven, to, to not have to worry about my shame and my guilt because you have not been able to be stopped. The cross, the resurrection... Father, we pray that you would help us to obey you. Father, we pray that you would help us to look at our lives and to see where you are calling us to get on that surfboard and to ride the wave of you, your purposes, your spirit in our lives. Father, we pray that over all of this we would see that you are unstoppable, that, that you hold us fast in the midst of it all. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, please stand with us as we continue to worship your song.